The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. about you, but I enjoy catching up on the news. Now, admittedly, most news is not all that informing or uplifting, but recently I heard some very important news. HGTV is bringing back Extreme Home Makeover. Mark your calendar. It's time to move that bus yet again. Mark it on February 16th, 2020. The new series promises to bring mind-blowing house renovations. Now, if you've never seen the show, each episode features a family that's faced some type of major hardship, maybe a natural disaster or a family member who is terminally ill or a terrible accident, and their broken-down family and broken-down house tells a painful story of broken dreams. The host talks to each family member at the beginning of the show to learn about their story collectively and individually, as well as to learn about their dreams. And so the the producers coordinate local contractors to come in and make over the family's home. Uh, They assemble hundreds of friends and volunteers from the community to help. Uh, Local businesses donate all the material. And then the family's sent away for a week, and during that week they do everything, all the demolition and reconstruction. And every detail is thought out uh, very carefully and lovingly to meet the family's needs and to reflect each uh, family member's preferences and interests and dreams. And so when the family returns to their home, it's utterly transformed. It chokes me up. I love this. (laughs) I love this show. Ah. And, you know, one of the things that's beautiful is is the home has this new glory, but it still reflects their history, and there's still the original charm that was once there. And I love it because it reflects gospel hope. It's not simply about fixing a broken-down house, but about restoring a family, a home, addressing their common struggles as well as their unique struggles, and offering a personalized touch of redemption. But extreme home makeover can't hold a candle to the restorative work that God does through his son, Jesus Christ. The truth is we all live in broken down houses in one way or another. And Jesus offers a personalized touch that promises to restore each and every part ultimately. Now we've been walking through the gospel of Luke and this morning we're at Luke 5, and in these middle chapters of Luke, we will see Jesus literally restoring every part of his broken house, of his broken creation. And uh, if you remember, as we saw in Luke 4, Jesus began his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. He stands up in the synagogue and reads from the prophet Isaiah. This is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are pressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after reading from the scroll of Isaiah, he sits down and says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled among you. Now, when someone runs for office, they usually declare their candidacy in some type of strategic way. If Their platform is job creation. They'll announce it at a factory. If it's education, maybe they'll declare themselves in a school. Here, Jesus declares himself in his home synagogue, the place where people learned about God's faithfulness and work of redemption. And his platform is from Isaiah. It's setting liberty for all captives, liberating those who are oppressed. Jesus will deliver his people with a greater exodus than Moses did, delivering them from sin, oppression, death, and all of its effects, sin, alienation, spiritual darkness, you name it. And he also has come to proclaim good news to the poor, not just the material poor, but every form of poverty, spiritually poor sinners, socially poor outsiders. And when Jesus proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus offers his people a jubilee, Now, Jubilee was God's way in the Old Testament to restore property to all those who had lost it through unfortunate circumstances or folly or sin. And and so Jesus is proclaiming something better than Jubilee, a full release of all debts, a lasting restoration. And that's what brings us to our text here in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, where we see Jesus is a total healer. Now, as we study Jesus uh, and his healing of this leper, we're going to discover that as a healer, first, Jesus is not just powerful and willing. He's also wise. And second, he's not just loving and thorough, but he's also incarnate. We're going to see this as we walk through the, the passage. First, Turn with me in your Bible, Luke 5, and follow along as I read verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear Jesus and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So our first point, Jesus is healing is powerful. He is willing to heal, and he is wise in his healing. Now, leprosy, we we need to understand, this is a dreadful disease. It's worse than the coronavirus. It's more like Ebola or AIDS. The ancient historian Josephus writes this. He says, lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. Now, like Ebola, there was no cure. Unlike AIDS, there was no treatment, no relief. So the only defense was quarantine. And according to the Old Testament law of Leviticus, 
The leprous person was to wear torn clothes and let his hair hang loose and cover his upper lip and yell, unclean, unclean, and he shall live alone and his dwelling place shall be outside the camp. See, the suffering of a leper was tremendous. He would be cut off from family, friends, community. He couldn't go to the temple or to the synagogue or participate in public worship. Can you imagine the loneliness and shame? Now, some of us are too proud to admit that we have a simple cold. Do you know anyone like that? A person who looks terrible. Their eyes are watering, their nose is red, their nose is running, and you ask, are you feeling okay? And they're like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. See, being sick means admitting limitation, weakness, and some of us are too proud for that. And the more severe the sickness, the more intense the sense of shame and weakness. We don't like people seeing us at our worst as we lose strength and beauty and mental clarity and self-control and the proverbial hospital gown that exposes our hind parts, that captures the mood, doesn't it, of the shame of sickness. See, this leper had debilitating shame. You couldn't hide the disfiguring, the defiling rot. Children would point and ask, Mom, Dad, what's wrong with that guy? Parents would gasp and divert their gaze, whisper and distance themselves. So this man felt tremendous shame. In the first century culture, he would have been the ultimate outcast, worse off than the lowest caste in the Hindu religious system known as untouchables. Yet despite all the shame, notice what he does. He comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now that took courage. Even if he was desperate, that took courage to approach Jesus despite the shame, despite the long suffering, despite the permanent nature of his condition. He had enough hope to still approach Jesus and ask for cleansing. In other words, he refused to fall into the abyss of total cynicism and despair. Even though he had no certainty that Jesus would respond as he desired, he merely said, Lord, if you will, you can do it. And he throws himself down at Jesus' feet, submitting to God's sovereignty and abandoning himself to the mercy of Christ. And look how Jesus responds in verse 12. I will be clean. Now, while the man certainly evidenced courage, at least enough courage to approach Jesus, the text actually makes no explicit reference as to the reason Jesus heals the leper other than Jesus' willingness. It simply says, Jesus said, I will be clean. Jesus was willing. Verse 12, this man was full of leprosy, well, indicating this is an advanced case. Now, if you haven't seen what this looks like or what a man full of leprosy looks like, watch Mel Gibson's movie Braveheart. Robert the Bruce's father was full of leprosy. It's a terrible, nasty, defiling, all-encompassing disease. Now, keep in mind, healing leprosy of this kind is not something you can fake, so when Jesus said, I will, be, uh, I will be clean, it either happened immediately or it didn't. 
And Jesus' public ministry as the Messiah is just getting started, and it would have come to a quick end had the leper's rash and rot remained. But the leprosy did leave him, and it left him immediately. Imagine that. Someone who's not just willing to heal, but fully capable to do so, both willing and powerful. We need both, don't we? In a world full of pain and suffering and illness, we need both if we're to have any type of hope, hope that's worth maintaining. Now notice also, Jesus remains willing and able despite that the leper had issues and didn't quite approach Jesus in the right way. Despite the leper's disregard for the law. Remember, it was while Jesus was in one of the cities that the leper approached him. And his presence in the town wouldn't have just been shocking and disturbing to everyone who lived in that town. It was a direct and severe violation of God's law that put everyone at great risk. And yet Jesus remained willing and able to heal. Because Jesus' willingness wasn't based on the leper's sense of propriety. The leper broke all protocols. Jesus' willingness transcended the leper's carelessness, his selfishness, and his disregard for others' safety. Jesus could have said, well, why should I heal you, you lawbreaker? But Jesus neither corrected him nor refused healing. Jesus was willing to save because he is full of compassion and mercy. See, the healing power of Jesus comes into our lives only because he is merciful and compassionate. Not because we figured out the right formulaic prayer or because we've approached him in just the right way with perfect motives or at just the right time or that somehow we're more deserving to be healed of our stuff than those sick people over there. The healing power of Jesus comes into our lives for one reason and one reason alone, simply because Jesus is full of mercy and compassion and not for anything in us. Do you ever feel like a leper filled with shame and brokenness? We are all lepers in one way or another. Maybe not physically, but definitely spiritually. R.C. Trench calls leprosy an outward and visible sign of innermost spiritual corruption. Truth be told, we rot with guilt before a holy God. We rot with depression and jealousy and anger and broken relationships. We rot with the inability to forgive and move on. And like a leper, we can lose our ability to feel and just grow numb and apathetic. We rot with shame and despair. We are all lepers in one way or another. And if you want to be healed, there's only one way. Come to Jesus as you are in your shame and unworthiness. Don't worry if coming to Jesus shocks others. Don't give it a second thought what your friends or coworkers or family thinks. And don't bother trying to get it right before you come because you can't. Simply come. Come as you are. Come now. Come this morning. Come even if you don't feel like I belong here. None of us do. We are all lepers in some way, and the disease of sin makes us so. And that disease is contagious, and we contaminate one another with it. So come, even if you feel as suited for this church as a pig is for the Ritz. 
come, even if you're not a religious person, come if you haven't prayed since you were a child. Come and throw yourself at his feet and ask for his mercy. Trust his power and his goodness. For Jesus is powerful and willing to heal. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, don't you dare give me false hope. If Jesus is powerful and willing to heal, then why hasn't he healed me? And many of us can point to something in our lives that is devastating, debilitating, and God hasn't healed it. And maybe you're beginning to think that God won't heal it, not ever. And you say to yourself, I've already done all that this leper did. I was bold, I came in faith, I pled and I begged, but I'm still ill. I'm still sick and alone and heartbroken. I still feel on the outside, left out, filled with doubt and anger and shame. So, Pastor, maybe Jesus isn't as willing as you say. At least he isn't in my situation. Or if he is willing, then maybe he isn't as powerful as you say. That is an honest and heartfelt objection. And I, I get it. I think we're all there at one season in our life or another where, truth be told, we, we just doubt Jesus' power and his willingness, especially during dark seasons of the soul. So how do we make sense of Jesus' healing, healing power and his willingness when so much is left unhealed? And that's where we have to remember the last section of that first point. Jesus is not just powerful and willing to heal. He is wise in his healing. Let us not forget that this man was full of leprosy. Now, you don't get to that stage right away. It takes time. Meaning this man had a long season of suffering and pain and loneliness and shame and alienation. And we cannot pretend to know all the reasons God delayed to heal this leper. But in Jesus Christ, we see without a doubt God's willingness and power to do so. But even more, we see his wisdom because, quite frankly, God, sometimes in his wisdom, a wisdom we cannot pretend to understand, he delays healing. And maybe he allows one kind of disease to grow in order to cure a more deadly disease. Maybe so, maybe not. But if you think about it, that's how vaccines work. Doctors inject you with a disease to cure you with a great, uh, of a greater disease. That's how chemotherapy works. Doctors inject you with poison to heal you of cancer. And from a certain perspective, modern medical advancements seem cruel and ridiculous and untrustworthy. Pump someone full of poison to save them from death? Why would anyone embrace such a thing, let alone spend a fortune to make sure they have access, access to such a poisonous elixir? And it's because they hope that ultimately they can be healed. See, doctors act in such a way because they know the nature of the disease that they need to cure. And it is ruthless. But see, only God knows the nature of the disease that ails our sinful hearts. 
And so we can rest assured that he is powerful and willing to heal. That much is always true. Even when it seems completely untrue, it remains true. If his healing of your body is a promise, it will come. It may come in a year, a lifetime, or not until glory. But that is the beauty of the resurrection. God cares about the material world, the physical world, and he wants to make all things new. And you can know that God is working for a greater, deeper healing that may only be realized through the delay. He's not vindictive or cruel, but he is the great physician, and his wisdom is beyond our understanding. And that leads to our next point. Jesus is not only more than powerful and willing to heal, that he's also wise. Jesus is loving and thorough in his healing. He's personally loving. If you've ever read the gospel narratives carefully, you'll notice that Jesus rarely heals people in the exact same way. Jesus never is impersonal or utilitarian in his approach to healing. He never says to blind people, okay, all the blind people over here, line up, one, two, three, see. All right, all right, all you deaf people over here, okay? He's not like that. It's never formulaic, but it's always extremely personal. He heals some blind people immediately, others in stages over time. He heals some with a word, sometimes with a touch, sometimes because of great faith, sometimes because of only little faith. Sometimes there's no mention of faith except the faith of friends. But his miracles are never petty. One of the marks of the false gospels, other than that they're written hundreds and hundreds of years after the events, unlike the biblical gospels written within the generation of those who actually witnessed the events, one of the marks of the false gospels, like the gospel of Thomas, is that it includes all these silly, petty miracles that Jesus does. Like when Jesus was a child, he made 12 clay sparrows with his friends on the Sabbath, and apparently word got out to Joseph. And so to avoid getting in trouble, Jesus turned the clay pigeons into real ones so they'd fly away. See, frivolous miracles. But the real gospel accounts, the ones written by eyewitnesses and not the Gnostic heretics lauded in the Da Vinci Code, but the real historical accounts show that Jesus' miracles are never petty, but always loving and strategic And they're never done to impress friends to get out of trouble, but always to restore what is broken through sickness and death and famine. Jesus heals the blind, renews the skin of a leper, making it like a baby's bottom, raising the dead. The point is, is that Jesus is always purposeful, always loving, always personal. And we see that here in his healing of the leper, the love And the thoroughness of Jesus' healing is seen not just that he heals, but how he goes about healing. And this healing is deeper, it goes deeper, and it goes further than you can ever see on just a glance of the story. First, look at how far it goes. In verse 14, he charged the leper, go, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. The priests were those ordained by God to adjudicate the laws of leprosy. They determined if the skin rash was leprous or not, contagious or not. They had the authority to bind and to quarantine or to declare clean and to readmit 
But the priest had no power to heal, only to judge. And this leper would have gone through that process of being judged by the leaders and then being quarantined and then being cast out. And so Jesus, in telling the leper to go to the priest, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's allowing this man to go through every stage of the healing process, to stand before those who condemned him as unclean so that he could watch them declare him as clean. What a liberating experience to slow down and feel the joy of each and every declaration and every admittance and the celebration that inevitably resulted by the whole community, starting with the leadership. But Jesus is also allowing the priests to confront the fact that a miraculous thing is happening among God's people, that there's a shepherd loose with the power to heal. And Jesus was serving notice to the religious authorities that one greater is among them who doesn't just have the authority to recognize clean and unclean, but the authority to make the unclean clean. Clean physically and spiritually. Clean and acceptable in God's house. See, Jesus' power goes further than mere declaration. It's an actualization. Jesus' healing power not only goes further, it goes deeper. Look at verse 13, at how lovingly deep it goes. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What a loving and thorough healer. No doubt this leper had not been touched or embraced for a very long time. And Jesus could have healed him with a word, but that wouldn't have been a full healing. Can you imagine what it meant for this man to be embraced like that? There's emotional healing in that embrace. What a loving and thorough healer. Jesus is a physical healer taking away the leprosy, an emotional healer when he touches him, a relational healer when he sends him to the priest to pronounce him clean, a spiritual leader when Jesus forces the priest to admit that there's a healer about restoring people to public worship and to God's presence. This is a multi-level healing. Jesus is wise and thorough. He is a total healer. But he's not just loving and thorough He's incarnational, and and I say this because I'm very sensitive to the fact that I know in our community there are people suffering in real, deep ways, and I, I just, I don't want to come across cliche. I've been praying for you this morning, those of you who I know are going through a difficult time. And when you're in that space, it's, it's easy to say, I want to believe this about God. I want to believe that God is loving and thorough and he will heal. I really do. I wish I could believe that, but I don't know if I have the strength. See, the cruelty of pain and suffering changes things. It changes your perspective. It makes it hard to trust anyone, including God. However, we have to remember that in God... In the person of Jesus Christ, we have more than just a loving and thorough healer. We have an incarnational one. See, we have one that came and suffered as we suffered and lived dark seasons of pain and betrayal and loss 
And he was treated like an outcast. And I don't know about you, it makes a difference when someone's talking to me about how to navigate through difficult times if I know they've been there. I was in the men's study two weeks ago and there was a man who got up who has gone through such pain and suffering in his life, I I can't imagine. But he was just pouring out, God loves me and he is so good. That was healing for my soul. Not because he said anything different than other men, but because he's been there and he can still say it. And it was authentic. And there was freedom in that. And deeper joy than you can imagine. And see, this is exactly what we get in Jesus, an incarnational God who comes near, who walks among us, and who actually walks in our shoes. He's not just a God who walks with us. He's a God who walks in place of us. He's not just incarnational, he's substitutional. And we see that in verse 16, because at the end of this event, we see that Jesus has swapped places with the leper. Did you notice that? Before this saving event, the leper was living in desolate places, and Jesus was surrounded by those who love him. But afterwards, the leper is surrounded by those who love him, and Jesus is in desolate places. That's a picture of the gospel, that Jesus came to stand in our place. Not just so that we could know that he is an empathetic God, but to absorb all the pain and suffering and then to conquer it on the cross. And if you don't have the strength to believe that, but you are connected with Christ, you have great hope because guess what? The spirit of Christ resides in you and will strengthen you to trust God despite appearances and despite circumstances so that you, like Jesus, can call out in your garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take away this cup, but not my will, your will be done. And you can walk that path with courage and hope and and not with cynicism, knowing that your God is not asking you to do anything he hasn't asked his own son to do. And when he asks you to do it, he won't leave you hanging but he will resurrect you with new hope. This is good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus is a total healer. Peter said it this way, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Amen? Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are not distant and aloof, but you are the God who has come near incarnationally. Lord, we know that you are powerful and willing to heal, And we wish you would bring that healing in different ways than you often do, but we trust in your wisdom to bring it in your timing, in your way. And we can trust it because we know as we look at the person of Jesus Christ, the depth of his love and the thoroughness of his healing. But more than that, the fact that he proves that you are with us. You are the God who sympathizes, who understands what it's like and you strengthen us with your presence. But more than that, You stood in our place and accomplished what we could never accomplish, our healing. You lived the life that we all know we should live to save us from the life we have lived. 
and you rose from the dead and defeated every enemy, so we need not fear or grow cynical. Oh Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that hasn't heard this message. I pray that they would come to faith in you. I pray for those here this morning that have grown cynical, that you, in your mercy and kindness, would show them your goodness, that you would endure along with them and let them taste again of your sweet healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.